Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, could the first cure for Alzheimer's be on the horizon? Or is it just a mirage? I think the cover story this week on Full Measure and what we're going to talk about in the podcast is really important subject matter that could impact millions and millions of people. We're talking about a possible cure for early Alzheimer's disease, the early stages. But like everything these days, it seems, nothing is really that simple or that easy. While this could be super promising and important to millions and millions of people, There are a lot of questions about whether it really works, how much it could cost, the FDA's actions in some instances with the company that makes the drug. We're going to look at all of that. Now, first, a couple of the basics. I looked up how many people it's estimated in the United States have Alzheimer's disease. And according to the CDC, in 2020, as many as 5.8 million Americans were living with Alzheimer's disease. Younger people, says CDC, may rarely get Alzheimer's disease, but it's not too common. It is considered the most common type of dementia. So when you talk about dementia, it's one form of it. Not all dementia is Alzheimer's disease, but all Alzheimer's disease is considered dementia. And CDC says it's a progressive disease that begins with mild memory loss and possibly leads to the loss of the ability to carry on normal conversations, respond to people the normal way. Alzheimer's disease is said to involve the parts of the brain that control thought, memory, and language. You probably know somebody who's had it or who has it. As far as what causes it, there is a lot of speculation, but what CDC says we know so far is the best risk factor that we can tell is, of course, age. There is also believed to be a genetic role, like many diseases. You know, there are causes for it, but you are more likely to develop a certain disease depending on perhaps some other factor like your genetics, your biological exposures, and so on. Scientists think that there are certain things you can do. Healthy behaviors that prevent cancer, diabetes, and heart disease may also reduce the risk for cognitive decline Of course, that's not always the case. Sometimes in very surprising cases, people have the cognitive decline or Alzheimer's disease when unexpected. A recent CDC study found that there are eight ways to help improve your brain health. Don't smoke or quit smoking. Manage your high blood pressure or prevent it. Prevent or manage your high cholesterol. Maintain a healthy weight. Get plenty of sleep. Stay engaged and involved manage your blood sugar if you have diabetes, 
And if you drink alcohol, do that in moderation. They think these things could matter or help in not putting yourself at greater risk for Alzheimer's disease. So if you've looked into this because maybe you've had a loved one that suffers from Alzheimer's disease, you probably know that all of the drugs that are approved for Alzheimer's right now, they're treatments. There's nothing approved that cures Alzheimer's that can do anything about the root cause. And that's what makes this story about a particular drug that's not yet approved so important. It's called aducanumab. I'll spell it for you. A-D-U-C-A-N-U-M-A-B. Aducanumab. And it's made by a company called Biogen. And what's so special about it, how it could work, has to do with what it targets. And I'm going to give you the description as provided to me by Dr. Michael Carome, who has studied this. He is head of the health research group at the Watchdog Public Citizen. He says this drug is called a monoclonal antibody, and it targets what is called amyloid. In Alzheimer's disease patients in their brains, they develop something called amyloid deposits. And Dr. Carome says there's something called the amyloid hypothesis, which is the belief that these deposits, I think people call them plaques sometimes, these deposits of amyloid are what cause the disease. That's called the amyloid hypothesis. And people have thought that since about the early 1990s. So people for years have been trying to come up with drugs to target the amyloid, either to prevent it from accumulating or to try to remove it once it's there. And so Dr. Chrome says there have been 22 amyloid drugs prior to aducanumab that have gone into various stages of development to try to attack that amyloid plaque. But to date, all of them prior to aducanumab have failed, mostly because they were not effective. And then Dr. Chrome said some of them even caused serious brain damage. So apparently there's a question as to whether even if you could solve that problem of the amyloid plaques, would that actually do anything about the Alzheimer's disease? Does that cause the Alzheimer's disease or is it just something that comes with Alzheimer's disease? And if you reversed it or prevented it, wouldn't make much difference. So Biogen embarked upon two very large studies, clinical studies of patients, thousands of people, this is the sort of research typically necessary to present to the FDA to try to get approval for a drug. But in March of 2019, Biogen announced that it was stopping both of their trials, the studies, because an analysis partway through the studies called an interim analysis showed that it would be futile to continue the studies, that if they continued them to their planned completion, the expected result based on what they were seeing was going to be that the drugs don't work. So it's called a futility finding. They don't continue the studies because they determine it would be futile to do so. Very disappointing, but not as it turns out the end of the story. And here's where some of the controversy comes in. Nine months after those studies were deemed to be futile, Biogen reversed its stance. It said that it had re-examined the study data in collaboration with the FDA and found that after looking at things, they had been wrong, and aducanumab works after all. Now, according to critics, that's sort of a problem, because remember, neither study was finished, so you do not have a completed study out of these two where you're pulling data from. 
And he says that when you stop a trial early, then go back and try to do additional analysis in retrospect to try to hope that there was some benefit, those analyses are considered biased, he says, because you stop them early and now you're going back to cull through the data and try to find something you didn't see the first time. So anyway, after that announcement in March of 2019 that Biogen was stopping the studies, here they are in December of 2019, surprising a lot of people announcing they've gone back and looked at the data from the two trials, that they've consulted with the FDA, and that they probably made a mistake in stopping the studies. They say now that upon further reflection in one study, that they didn't finish the drug appeared to show some clinical benefit. And based on that and consulting with the FDA, they decided to go ahead and apply for FDA approval for the drug. And here's something that's getting quite a bit of criticism, how closely they worked with FDA staff on the proposal, how they collaborated to get a petition or an application to try to get the drug approved. Biogen worked quite closely with some FDA staff and FDA folks in the Office of Neuroscience, the very people that would be reviewing the application. And then in summer of 2020, they submitted the application, hoping to get approval. So then the FDA brought the application to an advisory committee meeting, a meeting of experts. These are scientists and patient representatives and statisticians to get input about whether the drug should be approved. So this meeting was held last November. And when the meeting is convened, something pretty unusual happens, at least according to Dr. Karome and some other observers. There is a briefing packet that goes out to the advisory committee members, the experts. And normally there is a document put together by the drug company saying all the positive things, what they found, why they think the drug is hopeful and why they think it works. And then there is usually, I'm told, an independent and separate document written by FDA staff. This is more of an independent review that's looking at what Biogen or the drug company has presented and doing their own careful analysis. But in this case, at this advisory committee meeting, there was one single briefing document written both by Biogen and the FDA staff together, about 140 pages long. Most of the document apparently was written by Biogen with a small part in there, written by the FDA with some comments interspersed throughout, and overall, quite a glowing review of the data, according to those who read it. In fact, critics, including some on the FDA advisory committee, said it was very one-sided and focused primarily on the one partially positive study and then took great pains to discount the other stop study, which had turned out to be more negative. But here's all of it wrapped up in one document as if the FDA is advocating for the drug's approval rather than providing an independent analysis to the committee members. Now, Biogen would not do an interview with me for my report, but here's a little bit of the Biogen representative speaking to the FDA advisory committee last November on the promise of aducanumab. So given the totality of the evidence, we can conclude that the benefit-risk profile for aducanumab is favorable and potentially prolongs patients' independence by several months, even a few years, as demonstrated in our long-term study. This matters for the patient, their loved ones, and society. 
pretty normal presentation from a drug company advocating for its medicine that it thinks and hopes will work and deserves approval from the FDA. But next, you're going to hear just a little bit from an FDA official, the director of the Office of Neuroscience, Dr. Billy Dunn. Again, there was criticism because the FDA sounded like, according to some of the advisory committee members and observers, the FDA sounded like it was kind of working for the drug company instead of presenting a neutral analysis. So here's a little bit from the FDA's Dr. Billy Dunn at that meeting. When considered on its own, study 302 would appear to be a home run. But we had to sort out the impact of the futility declaration. So again, I guess you could take that as it almost sounds like he is advocating for or working with Biogen rather than as an independent regulatory body, saying that even though neither of these two big studies was completed, they were both stopped, that there was still a home run to be found somewhere in there, in his words, and that they simply had to sort out or explain the futility declarations earlier when the company had said that these two studies were too futile to consider continuing. Meantime, you have some of the FDA advisors looking at all of this at the committee meeting and thinking that something doesn't seem right. And I should point out here, as I do in my story on full measure, sometimes these FDA advisory committees are criticized for being too close to industry, sort of a rubber stamp. So when you're actually hearing one, as in this case, being so critical of the FDA and the drug company, but particularly the FDA, for how it was going about kind of advocating for this medicine, it's pretty unusual. Here is just a quick excerpt of one of the FDA advisory committee members from that same meeting. I was very, very, very disturbed by um, uh, some of the analyses that were considered. This analysis seems to be subject to the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, uh, named for the joke of someone first firing a shotgun at a barn and then painting a target around the bullet holes. That's Dr. Scott Emerson, an FDA advisor, who is saying that, in his view anyway, Biogen and perhaps the FDA went back after the fact and kind of painted a target around what they found in the stop stud- one of the stop studies, which makes it not a legitimate analysis, at least in his view. So the meeting goes on and on, and there's a vote at the end of it, whether the advisors recommend the drug for approval or not, and none of the FDA advisors recommended aducanumab for approval. At least not at this stage, they recommended there be a really good large study taken all the way to completion and that that data needed to be had and considered before there's approval. I voted no. I voted no. I voted no. I voted no. Those are just some of the members casting their votes. But that, again, was not the end of the story. More after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm to get started. 
We're back, and we're talking about a November FDA Advisory Committee meeting at which none of the advisors voted to approve a new Alzheimer's drug that could actually be a cure for early Alzheimer's. But to divert for just a minute on this issue of the FDA and its, well, what Public Citizen said was an unprecedented close collaboration with the drug company on this drug, I will point out after being assigned to cover these sorts of stories at CBS News in the early 2000s, I sure learned a lot about how all of this works. And the FDA had come under a lot of criticism for not getting drugs approved quickly enough. Members of Congress, some of them, of course, lobbied by the pharmaceutical industry, but members of Congress were pressing the FDA to do a better job of getting drugs on the market faster and in a way that, of course, for the drugs that work and are safe and effective, could benefit people faster. Patient advocates in some instances were saying that, that the FDA needed a better relationship, not so adversarial with the industry so that they could push through promising therapies faster. So maybe it's no surprise. A lot of people think an outgrowth of this sort of criticism and some laws that were passed to encourage drugs getting on the market faster, that a result would be the FDA has more of a collaboration than some people are comfortable with, a collaborative attitude with the pharmaceutical industry. But it's kind of like we asked for it. And in fact, in answer to questions raised about this collaboration, Public Citizen wrote a letter and said it dangerously compromised the independence and objectivity of senior FDA staff and clinical reviewers. Well, the FDA responded and said this is not so unusual and that Quote, FDA's interactions with sponsors, meaning drug companies, the FDA says are critically important to drug development, essential to set clear goals and expectations, and the FDA says the absence of these interactions would dramatically delay the availability of effective drugs for patients who need them. And now when we're talking about a drug that could be so important and potentially useful to so many people, you might be thinking, What's the harm with just trying it? If they think that maybe it works, why not let it get to market and let it get into the mix and soon enough we'll see? Well, there is one more factor to add to the mix in all of this and it's money and it's a big factor because according to Dr. Karome, the projection for this drug would be the annual price that would be charged if the drug were approved would be, hang on, about $50,000 a year. So doing a little math, as Dr. Karom did, they're saying 10 million patients could be given this drug. $50,000 a year would be a half trillion dollars a year. The potential impact is staggering because even though you may just notice the copay for a drug, the amount that you have to pay, actually you have to pay the whole cost, just not in direct copays. The cost of the drug, the $50,000 a year besides the copay, would be picked up by the amount that you pay for insurance premiums and Medicare, which is U.S. taxpayer money. So the $50,000 per year is covered by us, patients, taxpayers, and so on. And Dr. Karom says then that one drug, that single drug, would have these extraordinary economic impacts on our whole healthcare system would bankrupt the Medicare program and also bankrupt a lot of patients in terms of the copays that they'd have to pay. 
And his point is, if the drug doesn't work, it's at a great cost, leading to false hope and tons of money for millions of patients and their families and U.S. taxpayers. That just adds to the reasons why he says they have to get this right. So what happened after that negative vote at the November FDA Advisory Committee meeting? Well, the FDA does not have to take the advice of its advisors. And this past February or March, the FDA was expected to make its final decision on whether it would approve this hopefully groundbreaking potential cure for some people who have early Alzheimer's. But amid all this controversy, the FDA delayed its decision. And a whole bunch of stuff has been going on behind the scenes with critics, including Public Citizen, raising objections to the whole process. Public Citizen has asked the Inspector General to conduct an investigation into the FDA's interactions with Biogen. And Public Citizen acknowledges that a certain level of communication and interactions between the FDA and drug makers can be appropriate when drugs are being developed, that the FDA could give appropriate advice for example, on how a clinical trial should be designed. Maybe they can give advice on how the statistical analysis of the data should be approached. But Dr. Crome says for the FDA staff that's going to be involved in making the decision to approve the drug, to work very closely and collaboratively and do the analyses with the sponsor, the drug company, well, he thinks that sets up a situation where the agency's going to be biased when it comes to reviewing the drug application because they help do the analyses. So what Public Citizen wants as this process moves forward, and they've also said so in a letter to FDA, that any of the FDA staff involved in the collaboration should be recused or removed from the process now and not be involved any further in reviewing the drug application for aducanumab, that this stuff should be handed off to other staff members that have not had interactions and collaborations as described. And that's the way Dr. Karom at least thinks to ensure the objectivity of the review of this drug so that if it's approved, it's all on the up and up and it's done by independent and non-biased people at the FDA. The inspector general has replied in a letter that says, the summary of which, something like safeguarding public health is one of the Department, this is under the Department of Health and Human Services, one of the department's top management and performance challenges, and the Inspector General has responded by focusing on work that identifies opportunities to, among other things, ensure the integrity of agency review and decision-making. The Inspector General continuously engages in work planning and will include the collaboration issues you have raised in our ongoing work planning discussions. Not sure exactly what that means. Doesn't say they've opened an investigation, but it sounds like they're going to include the allegations about the close collaboration between Biogen and FDA in some sort of planning discussions. Without a firm commitment from the IG to do an investigation, I believe that letter, by the way, was written in January. The last thing I've seen that Public Citizen has done on this topic in terms of writing letters was April 1st, Public Citizen wrote a letter to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra, asking him to ask the Inspector General to immediately investigate, again, what Public Citizen calls the unprecedented and inappropriate close collaboration between the FDA and Biogen, 
regarding the company's application for approval of the Alzheimer's disease drug aducanumab. Now, since that November advisory committee meeting, have the advisors done a turnaround or learned more information? Remember, they did not recommend approving aducanumab at this time. Well, there was an article with some comments from Dr. Scott Emerson, one of the guys you heard from earlier, a biostatistician on the FDA advisory committee who was very critical of the FDA's review of the drug and the data analyses that were conducted between Biogen and the FDA. Anyway, when asked if his opinion on aducanunab has changed, I'm reading from this article, in the months since the advisory committee meeting, Emerson is unequivocal. His concerns about aducanumab's effectiveness have only gotten stronger. In fact, says the article, after digging through the available literature from the long list of other amyloid-targeting drugs that failed, Emerson came away with the conclusion that Biogen likely doesn't have a positive study at all. Instead, Emerson believes Biogen generated the kind of, quote, false positive result that can happen from years of repeating similar studies. And the quote from Emerson they have says, the more trials you do, eventually you'll find one that's positive, but sooner or later we probably need to say that amyloid's not the problem, talking about the plaque in the brain with Alzheimer's, because it is only a sign of the disease and not necessarily the root cause of cognitive decline. And I will give FDA the last word on this topic. They issued a long letter in response to Public Citizen. I had a little bit of that earlier in the podcast. But as to the suggestion that there should be some sort of firewall or better separation between the FDA and what they call the sponsors, the drug companies, the FDA points to an inspector general review or paper that came out back in 2003. And FDA says the inspector general recognize the long-standing benefit of these interactions, meaning between FDA and the drug companies, in its 2003 report entitled FDA's Review Process for New Drug Applications. And FDA says, in addition to noting that in the context of formal meetings with sponsors, FDA provides valuable advice to sponsors that can help speed up the drug development process, the report also noted FDA and sponsors also meet and discuss issues relating to the content and format of a new drug application immediately prior to and during the review process. The purpose of this collaborative approach is to produce higher quality new drug applications and more efficient reviews. The FDA also says, as Congress has recognized, these principles are particularly relevant for a sponsor's development and FDA review of therapies for diseases such as Alzheimer's, ALS, and some cancers where drug development has not on its own advanced sufficiently quickly to meet patient needs. Often in these situations, FDA says, FDA employs additional resources to further the development of safe and effective treatments consistent with the agency's public health mission while simultaneously maintaining integrity in its scientific and regulatory processes. So I hope you will check out my cover story on Sunday, May 23rd, if you go to CherylAckison.com and click the tab that says Full Measure, there's a list of our stations and times by state. So look up your state and then see what cities have a station that airs Full Measure. But never fear if you don't have one near you because you can watch online. Directions are there too. 
at the tab at fullmeasure at cherylaxon.com, on how to watch online at fullmeasure.news, live or replays, or on our app called STIRR, S-T-I-R-R, again, live or on demand. By the way, STIRR is a free app that has a lot of other stuff besides Full Measure on it, a lot of good content. You can get local news. It's one of the only places I know of where you can see live local news from places around the country. And you can also see free content, different kinds of entertainment and movies and other things there as well. So check it out. Also coming up on May 23rd, Scott Thuman will look ahead to this summer. Yes, we are approaching quickly that wonderful summer vacation time. And as I've visited so many states in the past year, a lot of rural places really weren't following strict COVID mandates. They were back in school. They weren't wearing masks everywhere, particularly not outside. But even in big cities, as you now know, um, a lot of those mandates have been relaxed and are changing. What is all of this going to mean for summer travel? Where will you be able to travel? What does it look like? What's the forecast? Scott has that for us Sunday. I have a great update on one of my favorite stories and my favorite subjects. Eric Lundgren, the e-waste recycler, e-waste meaning electronic waste like computer batteries and batteries from Teslas and all kinds of toxic waste that can just be dumped into our landfills or shipped to foreign countries where they sort through it and burn it and get very sick from it. These metals can get into the water supply. Anyway, you may remember if you've watched Full Measure for a couple of years that Lundgren, long story short, ran afoul of Microsoft in his recycling work and ended up in prison. Really an unbelievable story. And then he served about a year, and I visited with him last fall at the giant battery factory in California. He developed the business he started while in prison. What an amazing young man. Well, now there's another update on his story, and I will have that Sunday. And a great look at the Tomb of the Unknowns as we approach the solemn holiday of Memorial Day. So hope you'll check us out. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'm trying to shed light on and give voice to various views, scientific studies, factual information that others are trying to censor in this very dangerous environment. Whether I agree with the views or not, that's not what's important. It's to protect the free flow of information in America. And here's how we can defeat information control. Go to CherylAckison.com and check out the Censored tab for more stories and information on censored people, topics, and studies, left, right, and nonpartisan. When you hear that powerful interests or big tech are trying to censor or ban or controversialize information and keep you from getting it, that should be your signal to find out more about the topic that they're trying to control. Also, I hope you will check out my book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Read the reviews on Amazon of Slanted, and it might help convince you that there's information here you need. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.